bum bum bottom 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 bum b
two podcasts before we leave because we got to drop this yes, one yes. on Friday, which we've done because the listeners are listening to it on Friday. And then next week's episode has to be all scheduled and ready to go because in two weeks we'll be at the Lost Weekend Film Festival. So we yeah. got to get a lot done, which meant I had to, I, I did a lot of editing. I just want to make sure everyone knows how much editing I was doing today. It was a lot. And, and guess what? I give you full props because I do not help nor participate in that area. And so you did area. not lie to your friend Amy when you said that you couldn't come here for oh. podcast <laughs> purposes, even though that was just a mask for our place is a war zone. One of uh, one thing, first first things first, Amy does not listen to this podcast. Sad. Even the episodes where I'm like, I name you on this episode by first and last name. She refuses. Yeah. She's not interested so in So you comics. did just call her Amy. I did call her Amy. So you, you've now named the friend which friend it is. Yeah. Other I, friends might be listening. I have, and they're jealous. But they all know that they haven't hung out with me because <laughs> I haven't hung out with any friends in months. Because of the pit that we live in. <laughs> exactly. Now can I say my... Um, yeah, get vulnerable. I think I said one, and then I didn't follow up with a two. No. One, Amy doesn't listen to this podcast. Yes. Two, she would totally support me in lying. Because she knows what it's like to feel a little out of sorts sometimes. Got it. But, uh, but what a like, great friend. She is the kind of friend whom I would tell her exactly what's going on because she wouldn't judge me, but I still won't let her in this apartment. <laughs> so get vulnerable now about Fantastic Fest. We're excited. Yes. So like Fantastic Fest for me is something that I look forward to every year, which at a certain point in my anxiety would have never been true. Right. It was the kind of thing that really challenged me to go outside of my comfort zone. A lot of socializing at Fantastic it's Fest. It's a ton of socializing. You're in that lobby, shoulder to shoulder with people, going to and fro from movies. And they all are cooler than me. And they all have opinions that are different than yours. <laughs> they have all accomplished more than me. And many of them are better looking, better looking than me, which I resent. I mean, I don't agree with that last part, but <laughs> I understand what you're saying. But yeah, and, and the um, movies tend to be really intense. And there was like a certain time in my movie watching journey where um, my emetophobia would kind of control what I would see and not see. And Fantastic Fest is not a great one for emetophobes. Exactly, because it's all horror movies, genre movies, independent movies, and um, they really love a, a cheap gag. Yeah. Uh, I guess... Pun intended. Pun not intended, and I just grossed myself out. The first time I went to Fantastic Fest, it was... Uh, not fantastic. It was Super anxiety, stressful. panic attack, city... And and I still have at least one panic attack every time I go, but now I've folded it into the experience, and now I'm at a place where I'm like, yay, it's Fantastic Fest again. And you've had a lot more experience covering festivals as press. The first time you went, you did not go as press. Yes. Uh, so I was off doing a lot of the interviews without you. Yeah, and sometimes just having a professional distance from something where it's just like, well, I'm not here for my own entertainment. I'm here also to do coverage, like that changes the game a yeah, little bit for me. and I me. think when we covered it in 2019 for In the Mouth of Darkness and Film School Rejects, and we got the opportunity to interview people like Bong Joon-ho and Takashi Miike on the same day, also Taika Waititi and Ryan uh, Johnson, uh, like that distracts you from your other anxieties. Which like is something that I've kind of folded into my being my decision-making process is when something scares me 
does the scare outweigh how much I want to do it? Right. Because sometimes, because I always wanted to go to Fantastic Fest, and I've always wanted to be the kind of person who can socialize and meet people. Yeah. And yeah. then go to a movie, and then blah, blah, blah. So, like, I, I really did the thing of, do I want to be able to do this more than I don't want to be scared? And I and I erred on the side of yes. Yes. And there's things that I would not do that like scare me more than I want to do them. And I just don't do those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't do a lot of those like late night drinking parties and uh, things like that. No, I will not do yeah, those yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are movies you know you're just not going to enjoy. For example, at this year's Fantastic Fest, one of the big movies is Macon Blair's adaptation of the Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I'm not seeing Toxic Avenger. <laughs> and yeah, that's my priority number one. What was the film last year that got like Oscar attention? Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot. I cannot remember. Oh, 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 Triangle of Sadness. Yeah. Stay the heck away if you're an emetophobe. Yeah. Uh, a really interesting movie, but not for Lisa. But I've seen some seen some of my all-time favorite movies at Fantastic Parasite. Fest. Yes. You were one of the first audiences to see that film. That was amazing. <sighs> Anna and the Apocalypse, which is not VF, but it's a musical and it's about zombies and I freaking love it. Yeah, so. and there's a lot going on. You haven't had a chance really to look at the film guide. No. But I want to highlight a few things that I think maybe comic book couples counseling listeners would find interesting yeah. at this year's Fantastic Fest. So I mentioned Toxic Avenger. You know, Toxic Avenger does have roots with Marvel Comics, Toxic Crusaders, the animated TV series. Uh, I, I'm a little tempted to start collecting those comics. When we were at Baltimore Comic-Con last week, I saw a few. They're not super cheap, but they're not expensive either. So I may dive into buying Toxic Avenger comics. There is a, co a, a comic book adaptation called We Are Zombies, directed by the RKSS crew. They did Turbo Kid, they did Summer of 84, and this is an adaptation of The Zombies That Ate the World from Guy Davis and Jenny Frizen. And I'm very excited about that. Me too. It's going to be gory and and, and nasty. Uh, and you, you got to watch out if you're an emetophobe for the RKSS gang. But they make quality movies as well. There is a film called Conan. Not Conan, like C-O-N-A-N. -N. It's actually C-O-N-A-N-N. But it is a twist on the Robert E. Howard character and it's shot all in black and white. Very excited about that. And like, what are, oh, like uh, Garetha Edwards' new science fiction film, The Creator, which is going to open worldwide really darn soon, but they're going to have an early screening of that. Uh, that looks fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, there are just a bunch of really strange, gnarly, and off-kilter movies that, excite this weirdo talking right now. Uh, Mike Flanagan's going to premiere the first couple of episodes of The House of Usher, which will eventually premiere on Netflix. Oh, here's the thing I'm maybe the most excited about. They're doing a, a repertory screening of Caligula, <laughs> and Malcolm McDowell is yes. going to be in attendance, and we have put in for a Malcolm McDowell interview. Will it happen? Probably not. But maybe, cross your fingers, that, that would, would be, be wild. wild. But I've gone through, I've made a list for you, Lisa. We need to look at that at some point before Wednesday. And uh, once we do that, I think, what you know, we'll, we'll, we'll feel a lot better. And also, once we pack and 
maybe do a little laundry. <laughs> I do um, stake my reputation on always wearing clean clothes. <laughs> yeah, we always have clean clothes on. When you see us out in the world, those are those clothes are clean. Don't worry. We've also bathed. <laughs> uh, it's just that the pile never seems to go away. Yeah. And neither does our pile of unread comics. Oh, like, you got that right. We are constantly consuming. We are constantly reading. And yet... Our to-read pile is towering ever higher. I'm extremely excited about this week's episode. Dave Chisholm, he's been on the podcast before talking about his book, Enter the Blue, and he's back with Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. And I loved Enter the Blue. Like, no one illustrates music the way that Dave Chisholm does. And I'm always in awe of his ability to communicate sound. And he knocks it up a level or two with Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. And I'm not a Miles Davis person. I'm not really a jazz person. And maybe Miles Davis also wasn't really a jazz person either. Mm -hmm. uh, we get into that a little bit. Um, but this book, when I was reading it, you know, I, I started it. And I was like, this is really good. And then it gets great really quickly and then it never loses that momentum i am really terrified of the idea of coming across as hyperbolic about my enthusiasm for this book too late especially coming off of our conversation with christian ward talking about batman city of madness because that is also a book I really, really love. I mean, I, I think we said this at the end of last week's episode. This fall is killing it. Yeah, and these next four or five episodes are circling uh, four or five of our favorite comic books of 2023. Exactly. And I, I also don't want to come off as like a hyperbolic, uh, oh, Brad loves everything type of person, even though I'm sure that's what it seems like to a lot of people. Uh, and you're just going to have to take our word for it. But I think Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound is a top five comic of the year. It's amazing. It's amazing. I want all of my friends to read it. I'm going to buy it for my brother for Christmas. Yeah, I want to get it for my dad. But in my intro for Christian Ward, I said masterpiece. And I'm like, masterpiece isn't quite the right word. So for this episode, I used magnum opus. But that's still not quite the right word. So I looked up the definition of magnum opus. <laughs> yes, Lisa. <laughs> and a magnum opus is an, a large and important work that is the most important work of an artist's life. Mm. And I feel like it's kind of premature to say that about Dave Chisholm. It's almost cruel to say that about Dave Chisholm. Like, He's no a topic. young man. <laughs> exactly. Um, but like, there's still, if you guys know the word, this is a work that is also like a horcrux. Like, it's like, containing a piece of this person's soul and to read it is such a freaking privilege because you get to know, you get to see the inner workings of, of the artist even better. Yeah. Um, but there's not a good word for it. Yeah, there's not a good word for it. I, I, I see what you're saying. I think like the best way to underscore what you're talking about is actually to go to Dave Chisholm's TikTok feed. Ooh, look at you cue this up. Because he did a little video where he explained the importance of this particular work to him as an artist. And he he, he says it perfectly in, in this TikTok. So should we just upload this TikTok? And also, uh, we did ask his permission if we could rip this from his TikTok feed and put it into our podcast, and he did say yes. Yeah. So we're not thieves. Uh-uh. 
Dave Chisholm is about to enter our love nest, but before he does that, his TikTok is gonna walk in first. Okay, my involvement for making my next graphic novel, Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound, actually has kind of a long story, so let's go all the way back to the very beginning. Okay, that's me, these are my parents. My parents are hippies, basically, and they love music. My dad in particular loves jazz music, especially the music of Miles Davis and Charles Mingus, especially this album. See, this album, Sketches of Spain, which is a tremendously incredible album, is the first music I ever remember hearing in my whole life, and it just mystified me as a small child. So I grew up in a household that was full of music and full of comics. This is an old drawing I did of Spider-Man a very long time ago. When I was 11, I started playing the trumpet, and I loved it. And my trumpet hero was the one and only Miles Davis. All throughout high school, I played a ton of trumpet, I played a ton of music, and I painted a gazillion paintings of Miles Davis. When it came time to start college, I chose to major in music because I got a bigger scholarship in music. Music has been really kind to me. Uh, I've gotten three degrees, I have a doctorate in jazz trumpet, and I've played tons of cool gigs. This is me playing at the Umbria Jazz Festival in 2012 as part of an ensemble that actually played all of the music that Miles Davis and Gil Evans recorded together. I didn't play the Miles Davis parts though, I was just part of the ensemble. But all the time I was going to school for music and gigging and all that stuff, I was still drawing comics and still in love with the medium of comics. When I finished my doctorate, I made this graphic novel called Instrumental. It was published by Z2 Comics and it has a soundtrack of original music that goes with it. Anyway, Z2 Comics started doing a lot more music-related books, and they were contacted by the estate of the famous jazz saxophonist Charlie Parker to make a graphic novel about part of his life, and so they reached out to me. This is the book we ended up making, Chasing the Bird, Charlie Parker in California, and uh, it did really well. It got great reviews, and it turned out totally, totally awesome. That book found its way into the hands of Miles Davis's son, Aaron Davis, and then the idea kind of sprang from his brain and made its way back to Z2. And they made a deal and licensed the book. I made a pitch and the pitch got approved and I spent about a year plus putting the book together. I gotta tell you, this book turned out so, so, so good. So yeah, in so many ways, this book is a real like culmination of my lifelong obsessions of music, in particular the music of Miles Davis, and then the comics medium. And it's such an honor, such a thrill to have made this book, and I can't wait for it to come out. Thank you for asking this question. So as you can hear in that TikTok, Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound is a little bit of a miracle. Like all the stars had to align for the Miles Davis estate to come to Dave Chisholm, who was ready to receive this assignment. And then he delivers it. And it becomes a huge statement, not just about Miles Davis, but about Dave Chisholm. Yeah, it's the consummation of something that he has been fixedly thinking about since he was a literal child. It's so beautiful. He delivers so much more than just an impeccably researched, densely informational comic book, which it also is, by <laughs> yeah, the way. Right. So he does this kind of like zoom in thing where we get all of this information about Miles Davis, but then he zooms out 
And from that, we get to draw lessons from Miles Davis's life that we can immediately apply to our own lives. He approaches Miles Davis's autobiography, which he adapts directly, like words from that are in this book. He approaches Miles Davis's autobiography the way that we approach every comic book. Like, inside here is me, and I'm going to find me. And when he translates that into the graphic form, he creates something entirely different that's not the autobiography. It's a totally different experience. It's much more internal. It's much more metaphorical. The book opens with child Miles Davis walking through the woods and suddenly he hears this amazing sound that immediately like enchants him and like he is filled with this sense of like wonder of like what is that? And the way Dave illustrates it is as this enormous impressionist drawing of a man or like a creature. And then for the rest of that book, Miles is trying to recreate the sound that he heard as a child in the forest, which is based on a story. Like it's not apocryphal. It's like a story that Miles Davis, it might be apocryphal, but Miles Davis believed that this was his journey. It's in his autobiography. Exactly. But as a reader watching someone who is brilliant like Miles Davis constantly struggle to meet their own ideals or trying to meet some kind of personal goal while the circumstances are always changing around you is so instructional for me. It's so relatable for me. This idea of like, I have a version of myself that I think that I can be And if the world would stop for a second and stop changing and adapt to my whim, then I can find that thing. And that's just like not, that's like not true. When we had Dave on the show last, you were not able to participate in that conversation. And it breaks my heart. And it was so frustrating to me because I knew that you, as a musician, had a way to connect to Dave and to his stories in a way that I did not. I definitely do connect to his stories, but your absence in that last conversation was just this, well, it was this ghost, this phantom that hung (laughs) over me. And so I'm so glad that you're here for this conversation about Miles Davis and the search for the sound. And we're going to get to Dave real quick. But before we can do that, Lisa, we got to do a little thing called referrals. Referrals. The referrals segment is new and sponsored by Omnibus, the modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date, just like your local comic book store. You pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we're launching this new referrals program sponsored by Omnibus in every Comic Book Couples Counseling episode. The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode, like for... Dave Chisholm's episode, it's about seeking, it's about jazz, it's about finding yourself through art. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. So Lisa, you're going to go first. What's your referral 
today. My referral is Cannabis by Dave Chisholm. What? And before you say that that's a cop-out because it's just by the same guy, it's not necessarily on the same themes, I'm going to politely ask you to hold your horses because (laughs) both books are about seeking and the idea that you have to look back in order to go forward. I had not read Canopus before interviewing Dave Chisholm. If I had, I would have totally brought this up, but... Canopus is about this person, Helen, who is an astronaut who finds herself stranded on a distant planet with no memories of her past, but just this desperate sense of like, there's been this catastrophic event on Earth and I have to go back. But in seeking the solution to returning to Earth, she starts triggering and dredging up these memories. Mm. And that is one of the main themes of Miles Davis is he is rehabbing his hand after an injury and it's caused him to look back on his career. And and that's something Miles Davis is, is a person who proudly never looks back. So those ideas are kind of informing each other. Oh man, I also need to read this because I've read, you know, Chasing the Bird, Into the Blue, and now Miles Davis in the Search for the Sound. But I love the idea of seeing what Dave Chisholm could do with a totally different setting and a totally different genre like science fiction. And the art is also completely different. Dave Chisholm is one of these artists who can literally do anything. He is so extremely talented, but he really is going for something different with Canopus. Yeah, and I'm the last person that's going to chastise anyone for picking the same author as a a bridge from another comic. I'll never attack you, Lisa, because our main topic is by this author, and then your referral is going to be also by this author, because that's what we do, right? Like, when you fall in love with a creator, you go down their rabbit hole, and you devour all of their books, and in devouring all of their books, you start to see the themes that they're constantly picking at, that scab that just won't go away. Thank you, my love. I feel so seen and understood. But what is your referral? So my referral takes a character from Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound, a character who's really just a cameo in the Dave Chisholm book, and makes that person the focus. It is called Hendrick's Electric Requiem from Ablaze, and it's the creation of Mattia Columbara and Gianluca Maconi. Uh, So yeah, Jimi Hendrix, right? And Jimi Hendrix, like Miles Davis, is a person I know as an icon, but I don't actually know too much about. And Hendrix's Electric Requiem, like the Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound, starts when Hendrix is a little child. And he discovers music through his grandmother. And I find, you know, comics about music... And we talk about this with Dave. It's so often you just cannot express music visually. And and when people do, they fail to do so. I think Dave Chisholm absolutely achieves that expression in a very vibrant and powerful way. And And for me, it's a person who understands music theory, kind of literalistic, which is amazing. Yes, yes. And Electric Requiem approaches music visually but in a totally different manner. When Jimi Hendrix is a little kid, when he's Buster and he's with his gran, and 
he hears a song that affects him for the first time. He is transported. So it's almost like the song starts and it's a new scene. Mm. And it's a scene that's fantastical. And every time he encounters music throughout his education, he is being zipped back and forth to these worlds that he can barely understand. But then he starts to understand them. And then it folds into his you know, internal life. It's all about exploring his internal life and this escape route that music can be. And then how he takes hold of that escape route and then makes it a path. And that is all executed visually. And whenever I see somebody do music in a new way, I think of Dave Chisholm and, you know, that is the bar you have to match. And what I like about Electric Requiem is that it doesn't match that in the same way, but it goes for it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Music is music and comics are comics and they don't really meet too often. Mm -hmm. And when they do, it's oil and water. But then here you get, you know, Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound and Hendrix Electric Requiem and... Oh, they're meshing. They're meshing. And it's, oh, that's a high. That's a high that's hard to uh, come down from. Man, that sounds amazing. It I, is. I want to read your referral. I want to read your referral. Lucky for us, they are both available on Omnibus. You know, I'm really enjoying my time with Omnibus. I've spent the last several weeks just browsing through its digital aisles. And I just feel like they are filling a void. We need a digital comic book store like this one. And I can sense what they are building here. And I'm so freaking excited. The app is free. This is not a subscription service. You literally walk into the app, buy the books that you want, and then you have them in your collection. If you do follow up with these referrals and read these comics, Lisa and I want to know. Yeah. So hit us up on whatever social CBCC podcast or email us cbccpodcast at gmail.com. Referrals. And now let's get to our conversation with Dave Chisholm talking about Miles Davis and the search for the sound. As we've already said, it's coming from Z2 Comics. It won't be published until November 7th, so this conversation is going to act as a hype machine for its release. But while you're waiting for that, check out our referrals, go read those comics, and also check out Dave's other books, Into the Blue, Chasing the Bird. They are exceptional and give you an idea of what Dave is building toward with Miles Davis and the Search for the Sound. And with that final little bit of business behind us, bring on Dave into the love nest. Dave, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me back. We are stoked to talk Miles Davis with you. Uh, Lisa and I not only just finished reading the comic, uh, we just finished going through all your TikToks about the comic. There's not a ton. There's a, a modest amount. Uh, yeah, all right. But what I love about the, your TikToks in particular, talk, discussing the, the book, is... Your confidence in the book itself, you state at a couple points that you feel like this is the best thing that you've made. And I, I'm i so excited to see that enthusiasm and that confidence with this comic. How does that feel? Well, Brad. Oh, no. Uh, you know, I... I... I don't want to start on like a, on like a bad foot here. <laughs> but like, I... 
I get, I just get really like psyched about the work I'm making. I make, I, I make books that I would want to read. Um, and so that kind of stereotype about artists with like imposter syndrome, I don't, I don't feel that way about my own work. I like the work that I do. I like the books that I make. Obviously, like in hindsight, I might look at something and be like, oh, I could make that hand better or make that, or like that line of dialogue could be cleaned up or this or that or the other. But overall, like, I think at this point I've made, I've made a lot of comics and I, and I kind of, I know what I like and why would I waste my time making anything except for what I, exactly what I want to read. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny cause I, I, I really believe in all of the books that I make and that, but this book is a particularly special one just because, um, I have such a lifelong personal connection, uh, and lifelong fandom of like Miles Davis's music and, uh, personal history. Like it's really like a, it's a very personal project for me to, to get this opportunity was such a huge, like, um, privilege and terrifying privilege as well and uh and so to, to get this opportunity like i knew that i couldn't get it wrong because 16 year old me would like really just travel forward in time and murder present day me because um i had to get this right and so it was a long time coming it took a while to make this book kind of and i think that it turned out really good i'm really happy with it yeah i'm super psyched about it and i'm and i'm not afraid to tell people that it's really good so we just finished discussing this comic in the introduction and we were uh, very effusive. We were we were heaping lots of praise onto the book. Uh, we think it's incredible and we've we've read all your books and we oh, wow. feel like this is the next, you know, the next level oh, of your work. It does. It feels like a leveling up and. I also really appreciate and understand what it must be like to have to execute this book perfectly, not just for your sake, but for the Miles Davis estate, but, and for all the fans of Miles Davis, that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it, it was pretty darn stressful at times in particular, like at one point in the process or very early in the process, how do I put this? I was I was overzealous about them a number of pages I was gonna get to tell the story, and so I had a script and I was maybe two thirds of the way through the script of a two hundred and thirty two page book, and then I found out oh like the most you can do is a hundred and fifty, hundred and fifty pages, and so I had to cut like eighty pages out of this out of this, and I and it was it was really really I I was sort of at a crossroads. And like at this spot where I was like, there they I could do like part one and go to like nineteen seventy or nineteen sixty-eight or sixty-nine or something like that. Right when he turn goes electric, basically. I thought about it and I was like, you know what, I can't do that. I have to put everything in this one book. I have to like figure out a way to compress it down and cut stuff out that doesn't absolutely need to be there. Maybe find a new um framing device for the whole book so that mm. it so that the stuff that I cut out like so so kind of this search for the sound angle was came at that point in the process so like okay and it was really like 
really gave it a like a real focus because then the the so this his the sound this like search this like restlessness of his life was like the trunk of the tree and the rest of his as things like kind of get further and further away from that they become like all the branches and then it's just deciding where to cut the branches off mm -hmm. where what things need to be there for the sound for like hit like what what aspects of his life influenced um kind of showed up in his quest for this sound what things sort of like maybe um distracted him from that which things uh where who where are the big influences and stuff like that and then how far back on those branches do you go before you're kind of in the in the weeds and then when you pull back and look at that tree is it like a complete enough picture of his life to be like a satis to be like a satisfying uh book and so that was the biggest challenge for this book that was the thing that stressed me out the most you know and i knew from the beginning that i wanted the the cool thing about miles um, is that there are like a decent number or a good number of like interviews and like his autobiography, a lot of him recalling his life in his own words and giving his opinions in his own words. And so I knew like from the very, very beginning that I, that I was going to like tell this story um, using Miles Davis's Miles Davis as like a de facto narrator. And so like that was sort of like also a strategic way to kind of like make sure that I wasn't um, editorializing like mm -hmm. too much. Like it, it's tough, you know, because no matter what, it's an interpretation of this. It's like, it's, and it's not a scholarly, I mean, the, the research part of it, sure, that's scholarly in a sense, you know, but the reading of this is not meant to be like a real, it's supposed to be like trippy and weird and, and like exciting and like visually, like, like boundary breaking and everything. Um, it's not meant to be a dry documentary. Um, and so giving it that first person point of view um, in his own words made it feel like a way to keep it on it, like as honest as I could to like his point to, to like to Miles. And then while at the same time, like not letting it kind of divulge and like not letting it sort of like disintegrate into like academic kind of gobbledygook. I don't know. Yeah. It's in it. And and at a certain point, I was like so far along with the in the book, and I was like, I felt like, oh, this is going pretty well. It's looking pretty good. And I would stop every once in a while and like read everything in the book from the beginning to the point where I was, because I, I, I did all of the main chapters first, and then I mm -hmm. did the inter chapter 1982 parts right. of the story um, at the end of everything. That was the last thing I drew for the book. But I, but reading through it just to say like, okay, does this hang together? Is this do I need to add a page here if I can? If I and every time I would add a page, I would have to add two pages and take out two pages because mm -hmm. of all the double page spreads in the book. And because if you take out one page, then your your page turns get messed up and stuff like that. So it was a real kind of balancing act of of um, constantly. There there were a few times in the in the process where. I, I did stop and say, okay, this doesn't need to be here. And I would get on and like email, you know, um, Miles Davis's son and say like, all right, I would like to make this edit. And here's what I want to do to say like, wow. do, is, do you guys approve of this? Is this get it get like family like approval and stuff like that? And they were, and uh, honestly, Aaron was like, just really great to work with. He was super, super positive and really, uh, really um, helpful throughout. Reading the book, I do totally feel that like pruned and curated 
nature. It makes sense to me that you started with like the most and then you had to like find the story because you were processing so many mediums because you're going, not only are you listening to the music, but you're going through all of those interviews. And also you're making visual references to his paintings. In your last interview with Just Brad, I couldn't be there because I was working. And for (laughs) that, I am so angry, but I'm glad to be here now. You talked about your three guys. You have like your child, your bully, and your egghead. You know, and then you're now you're at it like your child is like, just play and be creative. And your bully is like, no, you have to edit. And your egghead is like, I could get more information in here. Right. Yeah, sure. And now you have this like fourth person that is Miles Davis, like also there with you. It must have been crazy. You must have felt crazy. Did you feel crazy? <laughs> I think I think probably I'll show you something that Yay. speaks to the craze craziness of it here are a couple of like miles davis biographies mm-hmm. and like i like fold pages mm-hmm. and if you look oh, like yeah. like every page is folded and it's like what's the point it's like yeah. totally insane that's so, alisa <laughs> so and it's so, literally like as i'm reading your book so like one of my my process is when i prepare to to a book for the podcast is to keep a character list so as I'm reading the Miles Davis book, I'm keeping a character list <laughs> and I felt just completely overwhelmed oh, <laughs> like, really? just, just by the, because of the way I was approaching the book, mm. like I was approaching the book wrong where like, because you're collecting all these characters, all these band members, all these people that fall in and out of his life. I was reading from an egghead perspective. Sure. Where when you come from the perspective of, oh, he's finding his sound and all of these people are just ingredients. They're just options like that. He is like kind of like processing through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you could even go so far as to say there's only one character in this whole book, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody else is like kind of like is like it's like a side like a a very peripheral kind of character from his like laser focus on like his music i mean in in a lot of ways this is how like miles embodies that like troubled artist archetype right um where in particular like the relationships that aren't with other musicians kind of like seem like they they were like set like a second status like a lower status for him right and he was he was so like obsessed with this with this like he was just a, he was just an obsessed guy i don't know i mean i'm sorry this is a, ter- a terrible answer no it's have, a great answer i have like but- a, a five a five week old ba- baby in the house right now and so hopefully i'm giving you guys good quality answers here but i apologize if my <laughs> answers ramble a little bit or kind of like walk walk down a path and just kind of stop but the but basically like the book absolutely fails the Bechdel test for example like (laughs) utterly fails it like there's there's only a few scenes that Miles isn't in it's almost like there's no way this book could have possibly passed to pass that test Mm -hmm. um and in a way like that's kind of this is it's it's an it's like an examination of a guy who like had a had tr- a troubled relationship with like the women in his life right from his own point of view so it's kind of like a little it was that was that was the other part of the book that was that was honestly pretty stressful was mm-hmm. like when i'm sitting there writing the script it can't be like hero worship this can't be like the greatest hits of 
his life and then not acknowledge the kind of demons, the sizable kind of like demons and problematic, to say the least, aspects of his personal story and everything, aspects of his life. And so I'm sitting there like writing the script, and putting this stuff in and I'm like, man, this is like pretty dark. And then sending it to like his like family and saying like, what do you think of this? And it's like, but then I, but then like after I like finished the script, I watched the movie with Don Cheadle. Hmm. And I, and I was like, this was made with the cooperation of his family. And that, and that movie is really, has, doesn't shy away from any of this stuff either. So I was like this, they, like they know, I mean, they, even like his, his autobiography is he's super, he's like almost like um uncomfortably candid in his book about like, he's just really upfront about like kind of the bad stuff he did and, and everything. Um, it's like, on one hand, it's refreshing. On the other hand, it's like alarming. Um, yeah. So anyway. What were we talking about? Oh my gosh. I have a question about <laughs> the other framing device that I, or theme that I see in this book. And that is like that phantom sound that he heard in the forest as a child. Yeah. And like what I think of, when I think of Miles Davis is he was always changing. Like the, mm. the thing that was true about Miles Davis is that he was always changing up what he was doing. But yeah. by reverse engineering it to, oh, actually he wasn't necessarily running away from, but he was running like towards this phantom sound that he heard as a child. So was that sound in the forest? Was that something that he talked about or was that mm -hmm. something? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the first, uh, like the first chapter, he's mm -hmm. on the rooftop with Freddie Webster. And he's talking, he's talking about like what got him into music. There's a, a panel where he's quote, he's, he's talking about the sound he heard in the forest that night. And that's all like a pretty like close to a direct quote from his autobiography. So was that always the beginning of your book? Or did you go like, okay, actually when I'm pruning my tree, if I put this at the beginning, there is actually a thread that connects? Yeah, it, it, it was. Yeah, it was always like, that was always, uh, that was always the, 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 so there's a couple things that go into that. So like on um, that story of that evocative story about him walk like visiting his grandparents in in Arkansas and seeing the and hearing this sound from the woods of this like mysterious music and then saying like from that point I knew what I wanted my music to sound like, right? It's a really curious thing. And he goes back to it several times in his in his autobiography mm. about like, oh, the, I wanted to get that like that like down home backwood sound like that night in Arkansas and going back to it several times in his, in his autobiography. And then, and then I was like, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a comic book. So it's like a visual medium and it's not a sound medium. So I want this sound to have like a visual hook. And then there's this, that quote by miles that I think is on the back of the book. That's like, I, I see sounds. Mm -hmm. And when I'm playing, uh, like he's he's basically says he has like synesthesia. And I was like, okay, well, I can like that can be part of it. Like stir that in, and then like kind of talking about this, thinking about the, and he talks about this in his in an interview, I think, about like what makes his what he's always striving to achieve in his with his sound is like the sound of like the human voice, having his trumpet sound like a like a darker like like a human voice singing like. And that's what he heard in the forest that day was, was that. So I was, so then I had this um, kind of like conceit, this visual hook that was like, Miles is, the sound that Miles is aspiring to will be like 
will look like a ghost. It will look like a phantom kind of thing. And when it comes out of the forest the first time, it'll be like, you know, five stories tall, this big, like scary thing. And then um, it'll show up out of his trumpet. You, at the beginning, you won't see that sound out of his trumpet, right? It'll take a little while for that thing to fully form to kind of represent him finding his his like his feet as like an improviser over the first like decade of his career or so um so like when he's playing with charlie parker his his sound looks like charlie parker's with those squares which mm -hmm. is like from chasing the, the bird yeah from chasing the bird right and um except that it's like that other color that it represents like hit that you only see in the book as representative of of like miles's sound that um kind of like teal cyan kind of color and then um when we go to the next chapter i don't i mean i know it's kind of lame to explain it to you guys oh, no, right? but, I, I, like, but it's all very purposeful right so the next chapter his it they, that box gets rounded off a little bit and the art softens a little bit and then you know there's panel borders that are circular in that one whereas in that first chapter the panels are all like tall and skinny um and he's always confined if you notice he's always there's he's always boxed in in the first chapter by Charlie Parker, right? So you were, were seeing him playing through like Charlie Parker's profile of his saxophone and it makes a little window and you see Miles kind of trapped inside of there a little bit. And then when he when he meets Gil Evans and sort of like finds a, finds a foil for his sound or like a muse or some sort of like, muse isn't the right word, like a, like a co-conspirator in sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, you know, obviously the, the third chapter things kind of go off the rails a little bit and then get back on the rails. And then by the end of that third chapter, when he plays at the Newport Jazz Festival and plays around midnight, that's kind of like where he finds the sound. And that's the first time you see this like ghost coming out of his trumpet and not just like the ghost from the beginning. And then when I, as I was like doing this research, I saw, I thought like, well, maybe there's some imagery from his artwork that I could use as like the, um, as like this shape because he's always talked, he, he talks about his painting as being the same thing as his music. Right. And he says like, well, when I paint, it's just the same, it's just the same thing. Um, and so then I found that one picture that I really love of the figure. And then that kind of becomes another like added layer of the visual hook. And that was another thing that like, when I pitched that idea, I was really nervous because it's like a bit of a, you know, it, it'll either work for you as a reader or, or it's the stupidest thing ever, right? Oh, I love um, it. Uh, well, thanks, uh, but yeah. I might be stupid. No, 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 you're not stupid. Like it it to me as someone who has never really experienced Miles Davis in any way outside of a Don Cheadle movie <laughs> uh and you know in college listening to Birth of uh, Birth of the Cool, like the gateway into this comic that opening where he's had the stroke and he's lost the movement his mobility in his right hand. And the doctor tells him, you know, you put this pencil in and just start scribbling. And starting there and starting with Miles Davis late in life, discovering a new art and then discovering how this new art connects to his old art, like already I'm on tears and I'm like pages in, pages into this story. Mm -hmm. It's just such an interesting gateway into this life and and just a perspective that, I mean, that, that reveals that I knew nothing about Miles Davis. <laughs> But what I think is really interesting is like Miles Davis was a musician first and a musician above all else. 
And then he discovered mm. his art, where for you, those were two parallel things in your life. And I love how you talk about on your TikTok, I love how you talk about like one of your impulses when you discovered Miles Davis was not just to play the trumpet, but also to paint him. Like I teach a lot, right? right. I, I teach a lot. Uh, and I teach a lot of like younger kids. So I teach Same. a few, couple college classes and I also teach private le music lessons. And I also lessons. teach private music lessons. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And sometimes like as a teacher with those younger students, I'm talking like 11, 12, 13, where they're not, the students don't have any focus and they're like, they don't really want to be there. I, with those students, I do sometimes take a route through learning for those students, it's really circuitous, really like long and slow. We take the long, slow path. I've had some parents like it take me to task for that. Right, like right. you're, um, we're going too slow. It's going too slowly and everything. And um, and I, I like to think that like those students, uh, my job for students that are that age is to give them as many tools as I can for when they need those tools. Right. Like, and they don't need those tools that that young, age they're just like energizer bunnies like just doing whatever they do right and then at a certain point around like 16 or 17 they will like desperately need some means of self-expression right mm -hmm. and it'll suddenly become like really really important to them and and they might and they may might not even like understand like the benefit of taking those lessons at like they won't understand like that the seeds were planted when they were taking lessons with me or taking art class or whatever and like for me, I think like um, Miles Davis's music was something that like I was somewhat like tangentially. I mean, I, I it's been part of my whole life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then at a certain point when I was in high school, I just desperately needed that music, like so so deeply. I needed I needed that music in my life, like every day, um, and it became a real like art artistic north star for me and so i just was like super obsessed with um with miles davis and you know like a big part of miles davis as a brand which just makes my skin crawl to say is that he just is like a cool looking dude mm -hmm. he's a handsome guy right he's a cool looking he at every stage of his career he had like different looks it's kind of like as a comic book fan it's like you know <laughs> uh you have like all the different Wolverine costumes or something yeah. like that. Like yeah. which miles yeah. is your favorite? Oh, I don't know. The one with the yellow costume and like the, the black stripes and the blue, per, the blue little shoulder things. Oh, oh wait, that's Wolverine, not Miles Davis. Right. Totally. Um, and thinking about like kind of blue miles is this and live evil miles is that. And like 1980s miles is this whole other thing. Right. Uh, and I, and I just kind of like, you, and you can see it in this book. Like that's one of the other big like visual conceits in the book is like having the visuals shift to reflect Miles Davis's shift in, in his musical output. Um, and I think that that's something that I've always been interested in for, even from back then in high school was like, is there a way I can capture the essence of this music um, on a, in a painting? Mm -hmm. so, so one of the paintings I, I did of Miles, I don't know if it's in the TikTok video, this one, right here this is a painting and i you can tell that i didn't yeah. quite finish it because this is just a, a piece of paper taped to the canvas right uh -huh. i just kind of gave up but i was thinking when i did it that like this was kind of blue and this is like like to me the essence of like miles smiles and then this was obviously like 
live evil or bitches brew or something like that oh gosh and maybe this was going to be like birth of the cool or something like that and sort of like um thinking like so so this has been sort of like floating around in my head for like 25 years or something like that so yeah i mean I don't even remember what the hell I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, what, can I, <laughs> it was my original question. You, you, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, it reminds me of, like, something I say to my students all of the time. Like, so, what you do with your students is, like, you're giving them the tools that they don't know that they're ultimately going to need. Like, my thing with my students is, that, like, oh, I'm setting up a relationship with music. Like, what mm. I'm trying to do is just tell them the stove is not, like. The stove is not hot? Uh, that. Like, I've heard that story so many times of, like, I took piano when I was 12 and I quit because I hated practicing. But I have this expectation for my child now. You know what I mean? I've heard that, like, 6,000 times. So, like, the thing that I I say to my students is, like, oh, well, drawings and pictures and that kind of thing, that's what we do to to, um, decorate space. Music is what we do to decorate time is the Mm -hmm. thing that I say, oh, this is a way of decorating time. Mm -hmm. So I think like, okay, when I'm teaching you to be a musician, I'm teaching you, you know, the discipline to be an artist in any kind of like fashion, like Mm -hmm. those same skills, like you might use to become a musician, you might ultimately end up to do some other kind of art. Yeah, I'm sure there are lessons that you have taken from Miles Davis that you find yourself applying to other areas of your life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Miles was a really courageous, courageous as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something like being, being like really free, like open to just changing who you, your identity, like if you, if you feel like it as an artist, of course, like how Miles got to be that way is it's, it's a different story that mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, I think I touched on that a little bit in the book kind of tangentially, but, but yeah, I mean, and that's something that's always been inspiring to me. Uh, like I tell, I tell my students, when you're dealing with music and art, take the biggest risks that you can because nobody dies, nobody gets pregnant, <laughs> nobody, like, there's no, there's no, what's the worst thing that happens is you play a bad note, you have a laugh about it, and you move on, right? You you write a, a song that's not good, and who cares? Like, who cares? You never, Then you never play it, you just throw it away. Or you draw a picture, and it looks stupid, who cares? It's fine. It's fine. And then, and once you kind of realize, like, actually like we're not skydiving here i can take risks it's okay it's 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 kind of liberating i want to go back to the framing device a little bit with mm-hmm. you know miles recuperating uh mm-hmm. and basically uh scribbling this comic into creation <laughs> and for me the brilliance of that is you get to lay out his story artistically uh, mm. from Dave's perspective. And then you have Miles's words in there uh, that give a, an honesty and um, authenticity. A, a authenticity, a perspective that's extremely unique. But where the excitement comes in for me is when the art doesn't necessarily match up with what Miles is saying. Mm. And, the story, the visual story, sometimes challenges what the captions say. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about the tension that is there? <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you noticed that. That means a lot to me because, um, again, thinking about, like, how can I level up as a comic book creator? I knew that there was going to be a lot of narration in this book. And just in general, like, I, I, I dislike 
narr like narration. I dislike it. And I couldn't escape it in with this book. There's no way it was going to have narration in this book. This is too much story to tell. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, um, I can tell, I can tell a story with visuals and I can tell a story with narration. They can be two separate stories that then are, are like altered by the fact when you like when you juxtapose them. And this is not, I didn't invent this idea. This is what comics are all about. Yeah. Like when you're talking about like literary comics or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I think like um, juxtaposing him recounting his relationship with his, with his mother while we see him kind of like having a meet cute, it it takes a scene that would maybe normally be sort of like like um heartwarming in a way and makes it really kind of like oh something bad this is like a this is foreboding and kind of scary now right and yeah i mean i i think uh it just kind of gave me the opportunity to have interesting juxtapositions and to like alter the all of the things that are happening in the writing and all the things that are happening in the visuals and it's just a lot more economic in terms of storytelling right mm -hmm. um it means that i'm not like Hopefully there's not too many instances in the book of me drawing the thing and then describing the thing that I'm drawing with the words. But also like y you get to point out areas of Miles Davis's own hypocrisy and and also like I think like using like using Miles Davis's own quotes give you I... gives you room to do things that are not true because Miles Davis is telling his story from his perspective and yeah. not everything he's going to say is going to be true. Yeah, actually there's one uh point in his where <laughs> when he's recounting the album Walkin' in his book that Miles mm. the record Walkin' he lists the wrong drummer. Oh, how fun. And I and I com <laughs> completed the page and it was like Art Blakey on drums and then I was like, cool. And then I was like I was like I don't think Art Blakey's a drummer on that album and then I went and looked and it wasn't Art Blakey, it's um Kenny Clark or whatever. And uh, I had like a little miniature crisis because like, what do I do? Do I change <laughs> the words? Do I, what do I do? Um, that is a pretty trivial example, but then like, you're right. Like there are times where it's like, um, you know, while his, while his, most of the time he's kind of alarmingly candid in his own accounts, um, you know, in, I, I tried not to challenge it, challenge it, its accuracy too much, um, but it's more like- But you like, don't have to, because it's, it's from persp his perspective. Yeah, it's more like the, it's more like the kind of like, um, uh, you know, the the frustrating inconsistencies that you find in anybody. And then mm -hmm. kind of, it's now, it, it sounds mean now when you, when I say it out loud, but then you point it out. <laughs> you like well, we all contain the, multitudes is what yeah, we, we yeah. say yeah. Often, Leaves of grass. Right? Uh, Lisa Grass, yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, you're all you're so ultimately you're creating a fictional Miles Davis. Like the Miles Davis of your book is a creation. Um, it, right. This is my interpretation. You know, you you, <laughs> you can challenge it in a second. Uh, <laughs> and what I loved about the Miles Davis of this book, as he is experiencing, as he is scribbling away his life. And then we have these moments of tension where the words don't match up with the visuals. I get this impression that this Miles Davis is then learning from those moments mm -hmm. as we ramp up to the climax of this story. 
and revelation <laughs> is happening for Miles Davis. I feel like it's happening in the in the sequentialing. Uh, you know, um, like this kind of uh, this kind of like I think like you you well you want it to be that way, right? We really want him to have those revelations. <laughs> That's certainly true. <laughs> uh, but like the spoiler part that Lisa was talking about before, like, does he really? And he, and it's and it's funny because like throughout his own book, his own autobiography, which I mean everyone should read, it's shocking and amazing. Throughout his autobiography, he's like, I hate looking back. I hate to, uh, talking about the past. I hate looking back. It's just like hilarious that that's in uh, woven throughout this whole book about like him looking back. Yeah. So, uh, but but I but I'm glad that it that it, I'm glad that it pulled that out of you. I'm glad <laughs> that it that it reads that way. And I think that's kind of like the the kind of like wit, the, the 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 thing that I want, I guess I want readers to read it and be like, oh yeah, he's really like, like learning a lot about his life. Well, um, so well, okay, so all right, uh, Lisa, I'll let you go. You, I, I'm not saying like he ends the book and he has learned lessons because I think the thing that we're not talking about, the spoiler that Lisa's talking about, is a punchline of sorts to what I'm saying. Sure. But I but I I guess what I was dancing around is that I feel like at times the Miles Davis is, you're seeing him grow based on the tension that he's feeling and we're feeling between those juxtapositions of the visuals and the yeah. the words. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that like um that's the that's the really fascinating thing about this guy. You know, it's just it's just mind blowing to me. He he says that line about Charlie Parker that he says Charlie pa Parker wore the best mask of anyone I've ever yeah. seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I read that and I was like, holy shit! This is like, what what an what an amazing observation that then when you look at that, he's like admiring this mask that this guy wore that this dude had to wear as like a black a genius black man in America, right? Like he had to constantly be like wearing a mask and have his armor up, right? And then you step back and think like, well, what am I reading right now? What am I reading when I read Miles Davis's own words about his own life, right? Um, that there's like, there's, uh, and not to not to be come down too like uh, judgmental judgmentally about like Miles. Um, but like there's there's a real like need of him to be seen as like masculine and like macho in his own book right but then at the same time um and, and even in like his own life right he needed that he needed to be feared by by women um he and he and yet at the same time he like was this very tender sensitive person and like in his music there's that that sensitivity that like is so heart-wrenching and like painful and he's a trumpet player like you guys know trumpet players they're like i'm a trumpet player right like um like it's so bizarre that like the most famous jazz trumpet player of all time is not a higher faster louder kind of guy He's this guy, he's this player whose sound is defined by like its human qualities, 
it's defined by the by those flaws that are in it and it's like the opposite of masculine typically traditionally masculine it's this like incredibly like heart-wrenching you know even 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 at its most like boisterous like in the early 70s there there's still something about it that's not the same as like freddie hubbard like shredding on like red clay or whatever for those of the listeners who don't know what i'm talking about just google like freddie hubbard red clay and it's like you'll hear this is a trumpet player who i feel like really does embody that kind of like manly trumpet playing which is like which 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 is like the opposite of what miles is like miles is playing on like the on the track the track off of the jack johnson album not jack johnson the surf singer but like he made an album that's like a a soundtrack to the movie to like a documentary film about about the boxer jack johnson and and that's about his just about i think his his most like extroverted muscular trumpet playing and even in that like solo and he takes this big solo at the start of this track that's maybe like quite long it's like pretty long as far as trumpet solos go and he'll have stretches where he won't play for like 25 seconds of this solo and it's like that's all this space that's this pregnant pause that like all you can do as a listener is like lean in and be like what is going to happen next you're just wondering like what is going to happen next and it's like um and it's never really you never get the feeling that he's playing to prove anything he doesn't want to prove he doesn't care about proving anything to anybody and yet then you read his words about his own life you hear him interviewed and it's like and and he feels like he has so much to prove uh and the and this like Jekyll and Hyde, Gemini, kind of like t- twin, like that lives inside of him. That's like so fascinating to me that like just sort of like um, became a real like engine for this book and sort of that like contradiction. And so to kind of like highlight some of that contradiction in the way that you can in comics between the visuals uh, and the words. I think was my like attempt at sort of like capturing a little bit of that contradiction. It's interesting though, like having like read your book and that impulse to improve yourself is part of a musician's discipline. Like it's, it's Mm -hmm. in there, like from the very beginning, you can always get better, but the only way you can do it is like sheer force of will, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and you set up in the beginning of your book, like he has this platonic, ideal of the sound that he wants to make and he's kind of chasing that and in chasing that he has the ever moving stepping stones of all of these musicians that he works with mm-hmm. you know and then you think about all of the romantic relationships he went through and you draw the parallel of the relationship with his mother like this idea he had this platonic ideal of the kind of man that he wanted to be and with each yeah. different woman, he was trying to kind of like tweak a piece of himself. Like, oh, this woman, she's a snappy dresser. She makes me a snappy dresser. Oh, this woman, she's really cool. I have a coolness in me. This woman can make me more cool. Oh, this person is French. She has clearly, you know, uh, has this kind of uh, like European like ideal that is greater than what we feel in the, in the United States. I'm so I feel like almost like a parallel thing of like these women are like these stepping stones to the That's man that yeah. he wants to be, but he is just like me trying to like 
keep keep a, a like a running track of all the characters in this book the, to him these individuals are like something that he has to move through to get toward mm. whom he wants to be that's really interesting i i uh i i mean i think that's a that's a really interesting point of view on it i mean i i i hate to say i didn't even think of that but I, i'm sure you're i'm sure that that's a totally insightful way of looking at at his relationships throughout his life with you know his romantic relationships throughout his life yeah that's true but it goes back to like that thing in the forest like not every artist has the thing in the forest like so some people i think are driven by that kind of virtuosic competitiveness where it's just like totally like i'm like that happens in opera all of the time too like i'm an athlete you know what right. i mean yeah like yeah. i'm an athlete yeah i call it stunt music yeah. yeah yeah and and that has its place and it's really rad and when there are things i can't do i feel horrible you know what i mean like oh no <laughs> but at the same time i i like you know there are artists that that are going toward and then there are artists that are like going away or going against yeah you know? i think that's the cool thing about all of the different um styles of music that emerged in the 20th century out of black america mm -hmm. is that it became less about pursuing an ideal which is what you typically find in like music from like europe and stuff mm -hmm. typically this is all just big broad painting with a broad brush is never great but like here we go whereas like the music that um emerged out of like the blues and jazz and rock and roll and even like uh like bluegrass and um all of these different types of music that kind of like have their origins in like black america in the early 20th century are built around not necessarily what you can do but what you choose to do mm -hmm. right um not really like pursuing an ideal but pursuing yourself and finding yourself in the music so like bob dylan would never be an opera singer successfully, right? Uh, and yet he found himself in his music and has had quite a successful, uh, influential career. And you could say that Miles Davis is kind of the same, where like he probably wasn't ever going to get a job in a, in a symphony. He says so in the book. I mean, not only because he was a black man in America at the time, the time when that he wasn't going to get hired, but like was his trumpet playing good enough at that young age to be getting a playing with the New York Phil. I mean, honestly, probably not. But like, was he good enough to be my, the best Miles Davis ever? Yeah. And he had like way more influence on the world by being himself than by pursuing an ideal. And I think that's one of the sort of like to get like, to kind of like, pull back, you know, what like jazz education in America is, 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 is a tricky thing, right? Because mm -hmm. as soon as you kind of like standardize everything, it does become a a little bit about an ideal instead of a, a, a journey of self-discovery. It becomes about like higher, faster, louder, virtuoso stunt music. And it's not necessarily uh, with, with, with not as much focus on like finding yourself in it or finding yourself through the tradition of this music, right? Which is, which is to say like, um, I couldn't just pick up like a saxophone, which I don't know how to play and just blow as hard as I could into it and make a bunch of honking noises and be like, listen to my expression, like, listen to how good I am, because there's no connection to any tradition with that. That would just be like bullshit, right? right. Whereas like um, finding yourself through the tradition of like this or that particular like style of music or musical tradition, there's real, there's real value in that. Anyway, yeah, like um, all of the things. I don't know. <laughs> well, like, like I want to go back to something that you said in the beginning of this interview, 
where you're like, you know, Miles Davis is kind of the only character in the book, if you think about it one way. And, you know, this book would fail the Bechtel test and all of that stuff. And then I go like, <laughs> like, uh, I read this book and it's about Miles Davis, but then I read it and then I go, oh, it turns out the only character in this book is me. Like, I need to find myself. I need to find, you know, my journey to self-expression and, mm. and I need to wonder, am I... Am I running towards what I want to be or am I running, you know, am I, uh, you know, or am I running towards the person I want to be or am I running against the the person I am expected to be or whatever, you know? Yeah, that that's cool. I'm so glad you guys liked this book. Oh, we loved it. Uh, we loved the book, Dave. <laughs> uh, and, and to me, it's also, it's one of these like rare miracle books where it feels like everything in your life has been building up to this graphic novel and then you had the miracle chance to do the graphic novel uh because it like the way that the universe came together for you to even do this yeah. is really incredible yeah i mean i i'm really grateful man i don't know what else to say i think like um with like z2 the my editor rants Hosley and then yeah, we uh, love rants. And then Josh Bernstein, who's um I think he's the CEO right now of Z2. They both called me up one day and were just like, we're gonna get you like the right book to do. And like, we're gonna try to get you Miles Davis. And I was like, like, sweet man, let's do okay. it. <laughs> yeah, and it, and so like I have those guys to thank. Um and also like obviously the openness of you know the Davis estate people and to just be open to to something that could be like you know could be like peeps people some people have a bias against comic books you know and graphic novels and stuff like that so uh, i'm just grateful that it that to have been given this and you're right it's like a real trip man it's a real it's a real trip i have to kind of remind myself when i'm like bent out of shape about this thing or that thing like hey man like you're pretty lucky dude you're pretty uh pretty much living if you want to get like very cheesy you could say i manifested this yeah you yeah did. that yes just in time too because now you're a dad you have this whole new teacher in your life that is your little kiddo and yeah. you're a completely different person like you know you couldn't write this that book the book that you're promoting now <laughs> like you're you have had this now tr transformative experience of becoming a dad. So like, it's like putting a, an, a beautiful exclamation point on the person that you were so that you could become this next beautiful person. That's a, that's a very cool way to look at it. I will, uh, I'll take that with me. Yeah. So no stress <laughs> in going to the next project. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm having a hard time uh, getting, getting pages done right now oh i bet, I bet. But, uh, I bet. we can only imagine because we're not parents yeah we're, we're like we're happy we don't need to transform we're happy with who we are but, or more but like, also lisa this idea that he's completed <laughs> miles davis you yeah. know and so like it's such a uh herculean totem in dave's life i would imagine like, yeah. uh but that's not my problem that's his problem <laughs> it is it's is it it's not a problem there's no problems. Yeah, no problems. Just just t time management. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Dave. Uh, levels on, on all things. On many levels on all things. Thank oh, you so thanks. much for Thank taking you. so much time to discuss uh, the book with us. Uh, we super appreciate it. And we're excited for everyone else to get their mitts on the comic. 
And Dave, for those that want to continue this conversation with you online, besides your TikToks, where can they find you? Or if they want to find your TikToks, where can they find you on TikTok using what handle? My TikTok handle is Dave Chisholm Comics. Um, my uh, my Instagram is the Dave Chisholm. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really like it like it anymore. Sure. That's- chisholm dave i'm also on that new app blue sky that apparently is only populated by comic book people now (laughs) (laughs) we're there so true under dave chisholm and i post on that all the time that's probably my most like favoritist that's not a thing my favoritist mostest favoritist one right now and then obviously like i'm also i also like i'm on facebook and i'm on there more than i would like to admit (laughs) because i'm am i a boomer i don't know just you and you you and my dad (laughs) all right (laughs) far out um yeah but you know so what is social media in 2023 i don't even know like what what is it it's a nightmare yeah we're trying to figure it out i think we're all flying blind right now i have a tumblr account (laughs) i mean time to boot up that myspace yeah seriously i've I miss the simplicity of MySpace. You had your wall, right? You had your yeah. top eight. Yeah. Oh, my um, top eight. You could put embed music on your, that would autoplay and get you in trouble at work. <laughs> um, if you went to the wrong MySpace page while at work. Anyway, sorry. I was no, like, that's good okay. times. I good never times. Oh, you missed out, Lisa. You missed out. Well, Dave, again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, yeah, everyone buy his book. Yeah, buy two. Thank you. Our thanks to Dave Chisholm for talking Miles Davis and the search for the sound. Once again, that is coming to you from Z2 Comics on November 7th. Get those pre-orders in. I loved being able to connect with Dave as a like a fellow music mm. educator because when you are working one-on-one with students and kind of fostering them as musicians, you constantly put yourself in the position of advocating for the way that being a musician and being part of the music world functions in your life. And and you've heard it on the podcast, like just the discipline, the amount of focus and the amount of like, just like constantly honing it takes to become an accomplished musician really trains your brain. Yeah. And of course we are becoming huge champions of people like you, Lisa and Dave Arts teachers, Mm. you know, art is under attack in a lot of school districts. Funding is disappearing. Libraries are having their books ripped off their shelves. And we need to celebrate heroes like yourself, like Dave, and all the teachers, all the librarians who are showing that there is legitimate value to the arts. We thrive as a society because of the arts. It's how we connect with each other. It's how we understand each other. And it's also how you understand yourself. My journey as a musician informs how I think, do, and accomplish every single day. What I said at the beginning of the podcast about like measuring against like, am I more scared or do I want this more is not something I learned from Fantastic Fest. It's something I learned from being a musician. Mm. And I have this like seminal story about when I was a kid 
And um, I was going to all of these performances and recitals and showcases, and I would cry after every single one of them. I would just become so overwhelmed, and I would just cry. And my mother says, like, if it makes you cry, why would you even do it? And my answer to her at that time was, because I love it. And I've taken that story, and I go to my, my students who have stage fright, and I say, like, are you afraid more than the amount that you want to get on stage? Or are you afraid less than the amount that you want to get on stage? Because there are huge things in my life that scare me, that scare me to do. And I just weigh it against what my heart's yeah. desire is. Is it worth this fear that I am feeling? And guess what? For some of my students, it's not worth it. And then I find myself talking to the parent saying like, your child loves being at the piano. It gives them peace. It brings them joy. The, the child I'm thinking of right now loves to practice. And she hates the idea of getting on stage. Why would you kill this thing that she loves to meet some kind of expectation that she never wants to meet. Yeah, so the recital might not be for her. Let's just focus on the joy that she's having in the moment with that piano. Isn't that persuasive? It hasn't changed her mind, her mom's mind at all. <laughs> <laughs> because her mom hasn't had the right teachers either. Like, yeah. you know, I think back to just all the terrible education that I had around the arts, and it really took me fighting through the, those 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 negative voices to end up where I am today. And it's because we don't fund the right people. Oh, and you hear all of the time, like, well, how are they going to apply it? You yeah, know, like, yeah. well, my child is going to be a doctor. So how are they going to apply being a violinist? And like, when you are a musician, you are practicing how to learn, how to strive and how to execute and it's an, in a way that is fun communicative and joyful hopefully and, and, and again to you know I think to my point which is a little bit different than your oh, point sorry is when you're teaching those things when you're doing all of those things you're showing that the thing itself the art itself the piano the music is valuable as much as chemistry or biology or whatever you know what I use music every single day I'm a music teacher it's applicable I might not be a world famous opera singer, but there is still room for me to live a musician's life. And even if you are not applying music every day in the way that you're applying music, uh -huh. the person who has been taught that music is valuable has a relationship with the music that they're encountering, right? And when you recognize that the music that you're listening to has value beyond just whatever its lyrics are mm -hmm. or whatever, like there is meaning in the song, there is value in that song, you are open to imagination, self-reflection. And this conversation has me wanting to dive in a little bit on a rant that I have about subscription services, you know, streaming services and the like, uh, and how they devalued the single item, the single yes. song, the single album, the single movie. Uh, it gives you a sense of entitlement, yeah. like I should be able to hear all of the things and read all of this stuff right, for right, one right. small fee. But I'm not ready to have that conversation <laughs> uh, just, just now. Uh, we, we really need to get on out of here and on to the next episode which we're going to record right after this one uh next week 
we are having a conversation with another incredible cartoonist, Patrick Hovarth, also a filmmaker. Uh, his new comic, Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees, is unlike any other comic I've read this year. It is cuddly and it is disturbing. Mm -hmm. It's from IDW Publishing. Get it on your radar, subscribe to it, go online right now, type in those keywords beneath the trees where nobody sees IDW, look at the preview pages, read our review of the comic on comicbookcouplescounseling.com and you will see that this book, it's going to hit you. <laughs> it's like Dexter meets Richard Scarry's Busy Town. And if you're into it, you're going to be into it. Uh, so we just had our latest screening at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. We screened the entire Dark Knight trilogy, complete with Christian Ward virtual intros. And we have not yet announced what our October screening is going to be because the studio rejected us. So we had no. to find another movie. So we're in the process of narrowing all that down and we'll announce it real darn soon. Check the socials uh, to see what it is. It's going to be something cool no matter what. Uh, it's just what is that thing? I don't know. Uh, and... On the Patreon feed, for those that cannot attend those screenings, we have uploaded those three Christian Ward virtual intros, and you can watch them there. Also, we have relaunched our Married to Singles episodes. Daniel Warren Johnson came on to talk about one of his favorite single issues, The Nom Number 9 from Marvel Comics. And this week, Jason Ayers, the WWE referee superstar, has joined us to talk about the Uncanny X-Men number 183. It was a lot of fun going through that book. Kitty and Colossus, some counseling sessions are needed in that issue. But Wolverine has all the answers. So head on over to our Patreon feed to hear those conversations. And today, Brad, did you not upload a 12-minute video of us talking to Kevin Eastman? <laughs> yes, I did. We didn't have a ton of time with him, but it was a great opportunity to dig into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem and some of the changes that they made in that animated movie and how he felt about one particular one at the very end of the film. And I loved his answer and how it was different than he initially felt, but then he evolved to where he ended up. We must be feeling pretty good about that interview because we do not release video of anything. <laughs> not, we not too often. <laughs> not too often. But it's only 12 minutes. Uh, you know, we need to buy a better camera. Need, we need to get a better lighting setup. Uh, but, you know, it's Kevin Eastman. You, you got to put it out there. And it's on our Patreon feed. You can get access to it for just $1. Okay, Brad, I want to leave our listeners with this final thought. Okay. If there's anything in this podcast that was like unclear, or maybe we mumbled a little bit, uh -huh. or maybe our ideas were so, uh, you know, broad and you just uh -huh. didn't understand. Like, let me leave you with this Miles Davis quote. Okay. If you understood everything I say, you'd be me. 
Isn't that a great quote? <laughs> it's a good quote. I'm like, Lisa, what are you opening us up to? Not criticism, because I only take words of affirmation. Where can our listeners send those words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on most social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts, and whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, Ooh. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Now with video. <laughs> <laughs> occasionally, very occasionally. <laughs> if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there. Yes, please. We're fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. I just tapped the mic. And your psychic rapport open. You monster. Right at the end. Right at the end. I'm furious. <laughs> Let's listen to that 